this is a long-term game. This is not something that you're going to jump into in the first, second, third year and clash out. This is definitely a product building game. Like, just go into it with the mindset that you're going to dedicate at least a good, like, five years. This is not a quick fix. Welcome to a new season of Start Right Here, where I talk to Bike Pop Beauty Pros about breaking into beauty, standing out, and defining success for themselves. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I'm OG Beauty Director turned consultant, but I'm also a dot connector who links others with people, ideas, and information. And I do this show because I am an advocate for creating an equitable, inclusive beauty industry. And this show is one way to bring you the information if you want to take a seat at the table or build one of your own. Let's get started with the show. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about using your personal experience to create a brand that can change our cultural perceptions around the subject. I'm happy to welcome today Carrie Abner, who is the founder of Manhattan Gray, a hair care line specifically for people with gray hair. And we're going to talk about how he got to the point of launching this product, but also stigmas around gray hair and how the perception is shifting. So welcome, Carrie. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you very much. Let's talk about where you grew up and how it shaped your ideas about the career you wanted to have. Yeah, so I'm a military brat. I was born in Bronx, New York, but shortly after that, my father was in the military, joined the military, and we ended up living in England and Japan and then came back stateside and lived down in Florida for a while in the panhandle. And then right before that, I ended up going down to Tampa for school and then which has been a whirlwind ever since. So a little bit of a cluster of a lot of different things and how that shaped my profession on the career I wanted to pursue. More so, I just have a lens of thinking broadly, and I knew I wanted to be creative. I think creativity gave me the biggest opportunity to build versus, you know, kind of just being somebody who just followed one beaten path. I kind of wanted to explore and have big ideas and mesh with different cultures. And I think marketing kind of gave me the biggest opportunity to kind of mix in my experience with some sort of professional direction. Tell us about your first job and how it set you up for success. My first ever professional job was at a place called Crawford Communications, but it was just my first media job. It was my first job out of college, and it was this job that was called Master Control. So I sat and watched TV, and I was like the guy who made sure that the TV didn't go to black, and I made sure that the commercials ran and all that kind of stuff. So it was very uh, uneventful. Right, but I mean... One of the things you probably you will never forget is like you, you got to pay attention to the details. 100%. Let's talk about what your current role is, your nine to five. I'm on the global marketing team for Sony Music. So I market music, hip hop and R&B, specifically catalog. Okay. What do you like most about marketing? 
it's kind of like a mixture of art and science, if you will. I think like the creativity of it is like, what's the messaging? What's the pictures? What's the photos? What's the video? What's the story that we're telling? How do we evoke empathy and emotional resonance so that it kind of inspires somebody to really take an action and be a part of something that we are promoting as a campaign. But then it's equally like, what's the strategy? What's the budget? And how much do we spend on this channel versus this channel? And why? And what's the data? Like, so I kind of get to play in both worlds, if you will, kind of get to operate both sides of my brain. But what's great about what you do in your nine to five is that it's applicable to entrepreneurship as well that those skills are valuable. Like most entrepreneurs don't possess those skills that you do. So you're coming into a space with very valuable skills that can make or break a business. I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, I think so too. I think it gives me a little bit of an opportunity to do what I transferable skills with people. So it's like I all day making sure marketing works. And equally, I'm like, oh, I get to apply these skill sets to my own projects. So it's not nothing that I take for granted. Right. Did you always think you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Well, I don't think I understood the concept at the time. I just knew that I liked to build stuff. I always liked to build stuff. I liked the idea of like coming up with an idea and bringing it to life. What drew you to beauty, so to speak? We're going to get into it, but were you surprised that you ended up in beauty? Maybe that's the question. I was definitely surprised to end up in beauty because I never really sought out to be a beauty entrepreneur per se, but I understood the value of void in the marketplace, storytelling, trends, timeliness, and I just felt like I had a good idea that hit all of those things at one time and kind of just jumped out the window after it. Right. And I'm glad that you did. So would you consider your move into beauty a destination or a detour? I'm going to say a destination. I don't want to call it a detour because it's not nothing that is taking me outside of myself. I have a very specific experience with what I'm doing. I have the emotional connection to it. And I think it's one part of me that I was able to bring into a physical concept. So I want to give it the proper respect to say like this is a destination, not the final destination, but it is a destination of the story of my life that I was able to ideate around. Let's talk a little bit about your personal story when it comes to gray hair. Tell us a little bit about it. When did you first notice your first gray hair? I don't even actually remember. I just know that I was super young. I was somewhere around 19, 20, 21 when my hair started to gray. And to be honest with you, the first emotion that comes out is insecurity. Because the narrative about gray hair is that you're old, you are stressed. It's very negative connotations about gray hair. So for me to be so young and to start seeing gray hair come, it was more so an insecurity of, you know, I was plucking them, I was covering it up. I think I wear hats and hoodies so much to this day based off that. Right. And I can relate because I know I saw my first gray hair at 11. People were like, you have a gray hair. <laughs> and I colored my hair for a really long time because though my grandparents and my great aunts and uncles on both sides had white hair. You never saw my mom's gray hair. She was not going there. 
So I kind of felt a little bit like maybe you don't want to show your gray hair. It's like a bad thing. But I love the idea that the perception has changed so much that we can embrace. And I think that what you're doing is one of the ways that changes the perception of it, the way that you're marketing your brand. And then let's talk about how perceptions based on gender are different. I talked a little bit about my personal experience, but you said something really interesting in the pre-interview about men versus women. So tell us a little bit about that. From what I understood, like men kind of get, as I got older, I started to understand that men get a little bit more celebrated for their hair. It's almost like this distinguished, maturity, secure type of conversation around right. gray hair. And women tend to panic a little bit more because it's ageism. It's like I'm getting older and I may appear less desirable because of age to a certain group of people. And that's me completely observational, just to be respectful to what I'm actually saying. But yeah, I think men get a little bit more celebrated for a distinguished gray hair, salt and pepper look versus women. And I think that's kind of the catch-22 when it kind of comes to the embracing the gray conversation. I think one of the things that helped is in the last, I'd say, five years, seven years, that younger millennials and millennials started dyeing their hair gray for fashion. So then it became a little bit more seen as a trend, and it helped to elevate the conversation. But as you said, if you are a person of a certain age that's grained naturally, I don't know if it's fear and for women, invisibility. You become invisible to a lot of people when you make these choices, or you could become, there's a fear of becoming invisible. And I like the perception or the movement that's happening now that gray does not equal old. You might be mature, but you're not old. (laughs) Right. We talked a little bit about this, but how do you think going gray has changed in the culture? I think people are a little bit more receptive going gray now. I think that the pandemic specifically separated all of us from our hairdressers and barbers. So it kind of gave us an opportunity to sit with it for a minute. And I think also with the whole culture around wanting to have more visibility into what the ingredients that are in products. You know, I think we want to be healthier, a little bit more conscious about what we're putting on our skin, in our hair, in our bodies. So it's just like this big pendulum swing of like, we want to be more conscious about what we're doing. We're embracing our hair, so we're going to stop dyeing our hair because now we're starting to see the harmful chemicals that are in hair dyes are doing more damage long term versus us just embracing our gray and finding healthier options to maintain healthier gray hair. So when did you have the aha moment that I want to make a product? When I went to go look for a gray hair product for myself. Like at some point, I dyed my hair one time and I just felt so inauthentic about what I had done and it wasn't really my thing. And I was like, all right, well, that's not it. So now I'm going to have to go find something that helps me maintain, you know, 
gray hair is a little bit more dry, it's a little bit more brittle, it's a little bit more flaky, you know, it's had the mind of its own. So I was like, okay, well, how can I find better products for me? And when I couldn't find any, then that's where the aha moment came in. It was like, well, what if I created something that I could use for myself? And then sold it to one person and then it kind of just spirals from there. <laughs> Let's talk about the process though. Because you're a marketer, you're very intentional about how you approached, once you'd made the decision, intentional about how you approached the marketplace and figuring out what was needed beyond your personal needs. So what did you do? Yeah, starting with the survey. I just made a very small five to seven question survey asking very general questions like, what's the number one challenge you're having with maintaining your gray? What products do you use to maintain healthy gray hair? If there was a product available, what would you want it to look like? You know, stuff like that. So I sent that out to people that was around me, family, friends, and seeing the trend of like the same conversation happening around gray hair, dryness and brittleness. And I think that's what really took it to the next level for me to understand what the actual challenges were. So how did you factor in essential oils? What made you think about essential oils? Now, that was a friend of mine who was already into essential oils. And every time I asked her about anything, she would tell me that there was an essential oil that did this and did that. And she was very much into that space. And, and that was kind of like my first Google search. Like, what essential oils are for, like, hair? And what do they do for hair? And then I started to read about avocado oil, coconut oil, and rosemary, and frankincense, and candlewood. You know, so I just started to read about all this stuff, and I understood that there were different essential oils that had different effects on particular aspects of the hair. And once I made a list of those, it was that list that I took to my chemist. And I was like, hey, I'm trying to solve for these problems on the survey. From what I understand, these are some basic essential oils and what they do. And if I could start with these two assets as part of the information and research, could I create a formula from that? So how did you find your chemist? Just Google. I just made a Google list. I understood the idea of like private labeling. So I'm not per se in my kitchen making my formula, but I got on Google, typed in private label companies in the hair care space, made a list of about 50 of them, called off 50 of them to figure out what the minimum order was, where they were located, whether they had African-American people <laughs> in the process who can help understand what I'm saying. So those were some of the key things, which quickly brought down that list to a very small list, especially when you start talking about people who understand Black hair in the manufacturing space. And for our audience who are not familiar with private label, there are manufacturers who create general formulas that then can be customized for someone. Right. Absolutely. So what Kerry did was work with a base formula and then add the elements that he needed to solve for the problems. You did have a specific product inspiration in mind that you started with that you were hoping to get something like. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So what I do understand is Murray's. When I was young, that was like, the hair grease of choice because we was all trying to get waves in junior high and it was like this thick, you know, this really thick hair grease that would hold your waves in place and put our do-rags on. So again, I didn't really necessarily know what I was doing at the time with that, but that was the inspiration. I was like, when the chemist started to create, 
they were sending me hair creams and hair oils and all these things that I had no real actual relationship with. Once she said pomade, I was like, oh, I understand that. I know what that is. And Murray's was kind of like my North Star. Right. And I love that idea because that's relatable to the audience. Anybody that you're marketing to, if you say, I wanted to take the inspiration from a Murray's, but make it a cleaner formula that works on gray hair. So people get that. They're like, oh, I can use that. That works. That works for men. That works for women. That works for us. So how many iterations of formulas did you get before you landed on the right one? Three. I had three R&D processors. They created a formula. It was a hair cream. It had a bunch of chemicals in there that I didn't understand. So that killed it already. Because I was like, no, I need this to be clean. That's one of my marketing talking points. So I killed that. Then she sent me an oil. And then like as a guy who was using it firsthand, the oil was running down my arm. And I was like, that's going to be bad for men. Men don't really want to deal with that. Then the pomade was like the final iteration of what she brought to me and I knew instantly that this was the right this was the right move. So once you had the product, talk to me about how you decided to market it. One, I mean, you know, the blue line is gray hair. So originally Manhattan Gray was going to be a men's product. That's what the first idea was. However, as soon as I started to like build a Shopify store, so I put it up on Shopify and built the store and Started to market it on Facebook, started to market on Instagram. Instantly, it resonated with women as well, and they started to purchase the product. So now, Manhattan Gray is a unisex product. So not only is it a unisex product, we have two SKUs, which is a pomade and a hair oil. And then I marketed it through the internet because I'm a digital native. So it was, you know, Shopify store, it was influencers. I sent the product out to influencers for them to try and create content with, which then I use the content of the videos from the influencers to be my ad creative. And I put Facebook and Instagram ads behind that. So it's mostly been about the story of embracing your gray, walking in your confidence, individuality, encouraging more men and women to avoid harmful chemicals that are usually found in hair dyes. It being clean, it being a vegan option was a big buzzword for me to help market something a little bit more sustainable. I wanted it to feel a little bit more upscale than like the traditional plastic. So Manhattan Great products come in glass. So like this is one of the products. This is actually the amber glass jar, black top. And then, yeah, it was just more of like an internet thing. I started to push it out on the internet first and foremost and create content around that. And that's where it got started. What made you name the brand Manhattan Gray? I was living in New York at the time when Manhattan Gray was conceptualized. So I was living in New Jersey, right on the, I think it's the Hudson, that's the Hudson River. But I was looking at the Manhattan skyline. So I was in my apartment trying to figure out a name. One day I was on my way to work, standing at the bus stop, and it was like one of those gloomy, kind of gray, hazy days. And I was just always like, New York is such a concrete city. Everything's gray. Everything's kind of, it has its own vibe. So I don't know actually how it happened. It was just like an epiphany, and it was Manhattan gray, and I just stuck with it. The name is great. It kind of gives it a you know, cachet, but also the glass bottle, it all kind of works together to make it feel like a more upscale 
experience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review. Also, you can sign up for our mailing list at theberoundtable.com so you will be on the know about all the good things coming. Tell us about finding influencers. When you started to market this, were great influencers already a thing? Yeah, I think there was already a space. I wasn't aware of the space. But once I went to go look for them, they were definitely readily available. It was available to me. And that's where it started. But yeah, great influencers was already a space. And then we talked a little bit about just how the existence of your product and your messaging influences culture, shifts culture. Can you talk to me about the goal there? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to like wanting to be a product that actually promotes the idea of gray hair being beautiful, if I can, right? Like, I turn on the TV, I rarely see any people with gray hair in commercials and advertisements about beauty and about feeling your best and looking your best. It's always like, cover up your gray, dye your gray. I'm like, no, like, why wouldn't we be a part of the conversation that is about embrace and being confident. And so when I think about shifting the culture or shifting the narrative, it was about me being in the marketing space, knowing that I've never seen anybody that looked like me in this space, which created the insecurity of gray hair being less desirable for me. And I wanted to shift the narrative and the perspective that gray hair is something to be celebrated. And then when I think about Manhattan gray, I think about it more of like a time company versus a hair product company because gray hair is a conveyor belt. Like everybody is going to eventually experience gray hair. So my customer base is just generational. Right. Generational and evolving because it's like a sliding scale. So the ones who maybe are my generation who are gray now are going to stay gray as long as we have hair. And then we're just going to embrace more people as time goes on. Right. I like that idea. So what is next for Manhattan Gray? What are you thinking you want to do next? I would like to seek investment. I would like to partner with some organization or people who potentially want to help raise capital for Manhattan Gray so that I could expand the product line. I could do more marketing of the product. I could buy more inventory. I just want to take this to the next level. And I think I haven't been able to do that to this point due to lack of resources. What do you think the biggest challenge has been doing this on your own? Cash flow. It's just really hard to do. I mean, product companies have like hard costs and overhead, you know, and I got to have the inventory and I have to have the bottles and the lids and the jars and the seals and the labels. And there's the fulfillment and making sure that it gets shipped and packaged and gets to the customer once the product is ordered. So I think like cash flow and I don't have the ability to pay and grow my team because it's out of my pocket right now. But I would like to raise capital so that I can expand it and really take Manhattan Gray from a small business to a national, international. 
And do you have your eye on retail at some point when you get this cash flow? Are you thinking beyond direct to consumer? Yeah, I would love to. I would love to have a big enough customer base and, and visibility amongst the marketplace that it would warrant me calling Target, you know what I'm saying, or calling Ulta and being like, hey, like, would you like to carry Manhattan ground yourself so that they have the confidence as well that this would sell, right? So I want to be an equitable partner in these conversations once I reach that level. Yeah, so I know that there are people in the industry who are VC and angel investors, et cetera, who listen to this podcast. This might be a good idea to explore. I'm just saying. <laughs> I would love to talk to you. <laughs> Have you also considered like accelerators or any of those kinds of programs? 100%. 100%. You know, I've applied to the Target Accelerator. I've been accepted into the Amazon Business Accelerator. You know, I'm taking it one step at a time, but I've definitely put my feelers out there 100%. That's great. What advice would you have for someone contemplating jumping into this space? What do they need to know? That this is a long-term game. This is not something that you're going to jump into in the first, second, third year and crash out. This is definitely a product building game. It is cost-intensive, like there is hard overhead costs associated with this. Like, just go into it with the mindset that you're going to dedicate at least a good, like, five years to this ID. <laughs> Minimum five years. This is not uh, overnight. Nah, this is not a quick fix. This is brand building and establishing and testing and customer feedback. There's so many things that go into it and finding the right partners. There's customer service. There's so much that goes into this that I didn't anticipate for. But just know that you're going to be in this seat for a while. How do people find Manhattan Gray? www.manhattangray.com. Manhattan Gray on Instagram. Manhattan Gray on Facebook. Those are the initial places. It's on Amazon, Manhattan Gray. It's also on walmart.com. But yeah, that's where it's at so far. Okay, well, that's great. So I think that this niche that you're focusing on it is such a welcome thing to have a unisex product designed for textured hair in the space because you're not like a unicorn in that space right now. I'm happy to be here too. You know what I mean? I think that was the idea. It was to fill a void in the marketplace and it also was very personal to me. So I felt like all the stars aligned with this particular idea and I'm excited to pursue it. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. That's our show for today. Follow Start Right Here on Instagram at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.